it's a good bet that most of us have a definition in our heads of the word doll. Our guest today is going to present us with another definition from another culture. Stay tuned. Good afternoon. I'm Chrissy Hewitt. Issues and Ideas continues now with Ears on Art, a twice-monthly program produced here at the studios of KCBX Public Radio for the California Central Coast. My co-host, Stephen DeLuque, and I have had the pleasure of doing this now for 18 years. Today is another first for us. We may have talked with an art historian here or there, but we have never been able to focus on the continent and artwork of Africa. This is part two of this conversation. Here is the introduction of our guest. Stephen and I are here today with author Herbert Cole, who goes by the nickname of Skip, so we probably will be using that during the interview, but when you want to look him up and we'll tell you all about this book, that's the name that you'll use. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello, all. The wonderful part for Stephen and for me is is that this is a first. We have talked to some curators, but we have not talked with anyone who specializes in Africa, so we're both very excited. How long have you had an interest in this country's artwork and culture? I started graduate school at Columbia in 62 and went to Columbia to study medieval architectural history. And quite by mistake, I took a course in African art, and the rest is history, as we say. (laughs) I never looked back. I went to Africa in 65, 66 for a year and a half. That was my doctoral field work. I was the first graduate student from Columbia to go to the field. I was taught by two art historians at Columbia who had never set foot on the continent of Africa. Our guest today, Herbert Cole, is Professor Emeritus from University of California, Santa Barbara, where he taught art history for many years. He is the author of several books, and his most recent, just published, is called Maternity, Mothers and Children in the Arts of Africa. Tonight at 5.30 at Cuesta College, he will be giving a talk about maternity and about African art. More about that later. Back now to Herbert Cole. The geography of Africa and the political, socio-political structures of Africa are so enormously varied, from huge kingdoms and even empires, to small uh, ethnic groups that have no real leaders. They are governed by councils of elders Mm -hmm. and titled men, and have no chiefs even, not to mention no kings. And then you have kingdoms such as the Ashanti kingdom in Ghana that was formed around 1700, that where a king rules over several million people seems interesting in that sense that the female is held in this very high esteem, but in point of fact is not the physical 
one making the decisions about the community. Yeah, there's a wonderful proverb that goes to that point. The hen knows very well when it is dawn, but she leaves it to the cock to announce. So women have an ambivalent role in many African cultures. They have a lot of authority, but it's often kind of behind-the-scenes authority. They hold the mysteries of life itself, being able to conceive and give birth. And for that, they are revered and feared by men. And the Yoruba people, this very prolific uh, ethnic group in Nigeria, have a designation for all women, all women, particularly those who are beyond childbearing, and they are called the mothers. And these mothers are exceptionally powerful. They can be witches and do harm to the living community, or they can be beneficent and be generous and inspire great works and contribute to the fertility of the young girls. So they must be treated with respect. And there is a masquerade in Yoruba country called Gelade, which is dedicated to the mothers. And the masks are danced only by men, but many of the characters shown are women, and some of them with children. The entire masquerade is dedicated to honor the mothers, these powerful women. Are all of the mothers actual mothers? In traditional African culture, almost every woman aspired to be a mother and great pains and expense and spiritual energy was devoted to conception and birth. In fact, my study of maternity includes a study of child figures, which are frequently referred to as dolls. But most of them are not dolls. These are simplified figures, human figures, usually incomplete as human beings, These are child figures. They're always small. Child figures are commissioned by women hoping to become pregnant or women who are already pregnant to ensure that their pregnancy is safe and without difficulty and that the birth will be successful and that the child will be handsome. In some cases, they want a female child first, as among the Asante people, so that the kuaba has small breasts Mm -hmm. to suggest that this is a woman. These are matrilineal peoples, so they first want a girl child. And all of the thousands of kuama that have been made over the years show that, that are called child figures, but they in fact show a nubile young girl whose breasts are just sprouting. So child figures are worn and carried and cared for, given jewelry, fed, bathed, and treated as if they were living children. They become surrogate children, and after a child is born, assuming that the child figure does its work, and it's often taken to a shrine and empowered to to do its work, the priest or priestess of the shrine may say, you know, once your child is born, bring the surrogate child, back to the shrine as an offering to the God who helped you become pregnant and made sure that your child was born healthy. And that's why you have shrines that are sometimes 
have quite a number of these offerings. They're just like ex votos in the Christian church. I'm sidetracking a bit here, but this happens to be one of my loves, is you know just the overall surface quality, patina, patina, whichever mm-hmm. we choose to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any kind of conventional methods of achieving some of these surfaces? Well, some of the surfaces are what we would call sacrificial surfaces, that the image has been fed cereal or gruel or milk or something has been dripped. Sometimes blood has been dripped. Sacrificial blood has been dripped on a figure. And sometimes the figure is plain and sacrifices are made beside the figure rather than on it. And that depends. Sometimes these akuaba are, and I should quickly tell the story of that. Akua was a, a woman born on Wednesday among the Akan people, and she was barren. So she went to a diviner, a fortune teller, and he said, go to a carver and have a child figure made. Carry that child, take care of that child. And lo and behold, Akua conceived some months later and gave birth to a healthy child. But while she was wearing the child at her back and within her wrapper, her fellow girls laughed at her and said, Oh, look at Akua. Look at Akua's child. Akua Ba. Ba is the Akan word for child. So this legend started, we don't know how long ago, a couple of hundred years ago probably, and thousands and thousands of these small child figures have been made. Frequently, they're referred to as dolls, and sometimes they become dolls. They become playthings for the children that they help to, to bring about. But oftentimes, they're returned to shrines. Sometimes they're well cared for. Sometimes they're just sort of casually left in the house. But the word doll, I think, is inappropriate because we think of dolls as kind of secular playthings, usually for girls. Mm-hmm. And yes, some of them become heirlooms, some of them become passed down from generation to generation in our culture as they were in Africa. But to refer to these child figures as dolls misrepresents their true role as power figures, as prayers for achieving good health, prosperity, a healthy child a safe pregnancy, and so forth. So I wrote a whole chapter to these child figures because they're so important. Mm -hmm. And hundreds of thousands of these have been made over the centuries. And they have everything to do with motherhood, which is a subject that we're talking about here. Um, I've noticed this one has beadwork attached to it. Is that a symbolism also? It is in the sense that it's dress. And you'll see some of the child figures are completely covered with beads. Mm -hmm. Beads are currency in many parts of Africa and have been for a long time and still are in some areas. And when you see bead-covered figures, Mm -hmm. uh, this is a gesture in the direction of prosperity for the family as well as uh, a healthy child. Bead-covered figures cost the family quite a lot of money. Mm in the sense that they that the beads themselves are money. Mm-hmm. For this book, which is wonderfly rich with photographs, were yes, you able to take 
some of these, many yes, of them? Yes, quite a few of my own photographs there, particularly the field photographs. The photographs of individual pieces come out of art studios, but this uh, a Turkana child figure held by a young woman I took in northern Kenya in 1973 um, when I spent five months in Kenya. So the individual objects, a lot of them are archived enough that there is yes, the documentation. Yes, museums, museums have them. And unfortunately, most of these objects that are pictured in the book and that we're talking about are now outside of Africa. They're not there <laughs> unless they're in African museums. Um, we have uh, plundered Africa for its arts. Dealers particularly and many of them African dealers, have made offers to the owners of objects that they can't refuse mm -hmm. because they want to send their kids to college or, you know, high school or whatever. If one is not traveling to Africa and is homebound in the U.S. <laughs> of A, where are some of the better museum collections? The finest African collection is probably the Metropolitan Museum in New York, but almost all major Comprehensive museums have African collections these days. The de Young in San Francisco, Los Angeles County Museum of Art in L.A., the Fowler Museum has a very, very large collection. Seattle Art Museum has a terrific collection. New Orleans has a great collection. Chicago, uh, Philadelphia, you name it. All the major cities have good African collections these days. But they're only about 30, 40 years old, these collections. They've included Africa uh, only fairly recently into the comprehensive world collections. You are listening to Ears on Art here on KCBX Public Radio. Our guest today is Herbert Cole, Professor Emeritus from UCSB, and he is discussing his most recent book, Maternity. Mothers and Children in the Arts of Africa. Part one of this program was aired last month and can be found in the Ears on Art KCBX archives. We return now to our conversation with Herbert Cole. As we were saying at the beginning, we were not studying this in school. Exactly. No. And so that whole shift has certainly awakened non-Western <laughs> art into collections, be it Asian, African. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, Oceania, yeah, right. Native America. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The exciting part is, is that for those of you listening now, you can actually see these images tonight at Cuesta College because Skip is going to be giving a program there, correct? I am. It's uh, December 6th um, at Cuesta College, I think 5.30 p.m., I'll be talking about maternity images and their cultural dimensions, their variety, their uses, their sizes, their materials. Uh, I'll try to give a, a fairly uh, comprehensive, although brief, account of what maternity images and images of children are all about in Africa uh, today, and particularly 40, 50, 60 years ago before the bulldozer of the West wrecked so many <laughs> traditional African cultures. And the book is readily available? The book will be available after the talk. Yeah, it's an expensive book, but uh, it will be available. 
and hopefully Barnes & Noble will also have it. It's a $90 book. It's being distributed by Yale University Press. Well, that's good to know. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go create demand. I mean, these are funerary images, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. This one is entirely covered with beads. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably the most famous piece of a very famous Yoruba sculptor. So let's see, what haven't we co- covered here that would be fun to cover? Materials, <laughs> they are enormously varied. Wood is the most common material for sculpture in Africa, but there's stone, there's cast bronze and brass, there's gold or gold leaf, there's stone. Um, Ivory is an important material and a noble material in Africa because the elephant is so important and ivory has always been valuable and often uh, one tusk from any elephant killed would go to a chief or a king. So there are staff figures, for example, that were used by important leaders that are carved ivory in the form of maternities. Talking about controversial subjects. <laughs> yeah, ivory, definitely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And size, there's great diversity of sizes from gold weights that are only an inch or an inch and a half uh, in height. These are counterbalances used for the weighing of gold in Ghana. Two masks that are large, maybe 50, 60 pounds, and house posts that can be six, seven feet tall. And figures of the goddess of the earth that are taller than I am standing, Mm -hmm. even though the goddess is seated. But you notice that these are from the same culture. But this is a maternity, Mm -hmm. and it's quite complex Mm -hmm. in its sculptural realization. And this is a child figure that's quite simple. Arms that are highly schematized Mm -hmm. and stylized, a straight body, no legs at all, Mm -hmm. a flattened head, which actually speaks to uh, an aesthetic notion because they used to model the heads of children Mm -hmm. when they were very young, uh, very carefully pressing on the forehead and extending the, the forehead. Kwame Nkrumah had a head who's that was modeled in that in this fashion <laughs> by his mother. And in terms of history, these maternities go back to five and six thousand, seven thousand years before the Christian era in rock art paintings and engravings. And they're very, very important in ancient Egyptian art. And you get uh, the goddess, the mother goddess Isis, for example, in Egyptian art, who was worshipped was a mythological creature, but also considered a, an enormously important culture bringer. She brought weaving, she brought a whole bunch of different cultural activities to the ancient Egyptians. And she was the mother of Horus, who was the, the great um, first pharaoh of ancient Egypt. So one of the, the things that that I'm especially interested in is the politics of maternity. And I mentioned it a little bit in talking about Ethiopian Christianity under the Emperor Zari Yaqob. Um, Isis was a political figure as well as a deity. And in contemporary African art, the politics of maternity have reasserted themselves, especially in South Africa, where apartheid 
was protested against and resisted, often by women artists, women artists and who are mothers, and uh, they are bringing a new realism and a kind of maternal subjectivity to the topic of maternity. And this is a protest against the sort of idealization of the maternal image in traditional culture, which was almost exclusively the male province, so that you had this male gaze that idealized and glorified the mother and child. And in contemporary art, especially by women artists, the child is seen as children are. (laughs) Uh, You know, sometimes uh, fidgety, sometimes uh, abusive, aggressive, unhappy, and so forth. It's interesting to see how these And and in much need. And and still in in need, right, absolutely, Mm -hmm. yeah. So the final chapter of the book is devoted to modern and contemporary arts. And you see an artist such as Penny Siopas from South Africa, who is the mother of a child named Alexander. And she's shown in the book in comparison with a Yoruba house post with a mother with twins in front of her. And Penny Siopas has her hand on her own child's head and her right hand on the head of a store mannequin uh, head. This is a self-portrait. She's, and it's called Comrade Mother. She's protesting against apartheid. Here you have, you know, twin figures. This is a terracotta from Ghana. This is wood from Nigeria. And, of course, a contemporary photograph. This is uh, poverty and, and drought in Nigeria. This is the beginning of the Nigeria-Biafra War. In the contemporary world, mothers and children are at risk more than men are at risk. So in terms of the metaphors that maternity gets into, we have Mother Ghana in this painting and Mother Africa in this graphic work by Malangatana, who is a Mozambican artist. This is a room divider that started out as an installation work in an art show, then was transferred to a maternity clinic outside of Cape Town, South Africa. And it shows women and their babies with quotations in Afrikaans, in English. And this is compared with a room divider, which is the portal of a Cameroon chief, mm. uh, chief's palace, with three-dimensional figures. Gorgeous. And again, it's, to me, it's unfortunate that in our arts education that African arts are never mentioned at all, ever. Well, they are these days. I'm you sure know, they are. Uh, yeah, art, I'm African a, art is now <laughs> being taught at Cuesta College, yeah. for example. Oh, um, I'm sure in quite a few programs mm-hmm, in varying mm-hmm. uh, degrees, and certainly Asian art, I know, Absolutely. is also. I think that most of our exposure, at least those of us who were in school in the 60s, early 70s, was to Picasso, but it wasn't about African art. It was about Picasso somehow Mm -hmm. coming up with all of this imagery all by himself because you didn't have the background to say, oh, maybe there's influence here. (laughs) Avignon was influenced by African mass. Right. Well, it's also the fact that uh, my first art history book, which covered three quarters 
and it was probably three inches thick, did not have a single woman mentioned in it. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was Jansen art history, mm-hmm. and all of us bought not it. Not a single and... woman was mentioned in it. Well, you, do you two know the Gardner history of art? Earlier than Jansen, actually. Mm-hmm. I was the one who wrote a chapter on Africa, Native America, and Oceania, a single chapter devoted mm-hmm. to those three mm-hmm. parts of the world back in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Most of those comprehensive art history books now include mm-hmm. a chapter on Africa, and one on Native America, one mm-hmm. on South Seas, one on pre-Columbian, uh, those fields that used to be designated as primitive art. The other thing that happens in terms of what we've wonderfully defined as primitive, because it's not ours... Um, <laughs> it's not Western... <laughs> I'm thinking of when I was in Greenland and finally got a different sense because of the landscape, because of I'm not sure what, about the Eskimo sculptures. Prior to that, could look and go, that looks kind of chunky Mm -hmm. and clumsy Mm -hmm. and whatever. Did you have some of that sense of being in Africa, thereby developing a different sense or a different aesthetic about what you were seeing? I think so. I mean, a lot of people who don't really know African art think that it's going to be a little crude and a little rough, but that's bad African art. (laughs) Good African art is refined and carefully done and usually made by professionals, and it has uh, a good sense of proportion and design and um, well executed. So uh, the stereotypes die hard, but they're there still. Mm-hmm. And I'm also thinking not just in terms of styles, proportions and stuff, but also how these things develop with materials that are available and the look that that gives a particular piece. And if I go back to Greenland, watching somebody pushing against a piece of stone, or maybe it's a large iceberg. You know, you're not quite sure, but mm-hmm. it's, it's there and it has that power to it of what it takes to live in that environment and to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's part of the question of you know, how we start to see something differently in its context. We, we do, definitely. I mean, the materiality, the, the, the physicality, there's the tangibility of art in Africa, uh, wood, is you, you want to, to feel it. You want to uh, turn it in your hand. Um, unlike the picture that's on the wall, framed and behind glass, you can't, you can't touch it. But you, you want to uh, handle a child figure because it has a, a real palpable material essence. Skip, thank you so much. This has really been a treat. Well, it's been delightful for me. I've really enjoyed it. I can't wait to see what, it ha- what happens when it's edited <laughs> down. <laughs> That's always our challenge as well. <laughs> thank you, Skip. This has been very, very informative. I've enjoyed it. You have been listening to Ears on Art here on KCBX Public Radio. Our guest today has been Herbert Cole, faculty emeritus from UCSB in the discipline of art history, specialization, African art. 
He is giving a talk tonight, Wednesday, December 6th, at 5.30 at Cuesta College. It will be at the Humanities Forum, room 630. He will have copies of his book there, so if you are into African art, this is one that you will probably want to own. This is a book full of written insights about the nature of maternity in Africa, as well as many beautiful photographs, many taken by the author. A few of the chapter titles include The Milk of Eternity, The Milk of Knowledge, The Sculptured Children of Aspiring Mothers, and concluding with Shifting Paradigms, The Late 20th Century Politics of Maternity. We hope you can make it to this talk tonight. Tune in next week for our annual storytelling program. And until then, on behalf of co-host Stephen DeLuke, I want to thank you so much for listening. <music>